We've been talking about following God, following Christ, pursuing God. We've been talking about the word follow, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. It means a professional pursuer, a stalker, not for recreation, but for occupation. And so we, we, we've been carrying this for the last four or five weeks, and we're going to carry it for the next three or four or five weeks. And then we're going to kind of get into, I, I want to talk to you, not go into deep revelation, but I want to talk to you about the, the Olivet Discourse, Mark 13, Matthew 24 and 25, about the end of the age and these things. And because I think it's kind of important, because I really think the church has gone crazy. And so uh, uh, we just got to put things in perspective. But this morning, that, that I want you to know we're not alone, and this is not something new that Paul come up with about pursuing God. And so the first thing we talked about, if you're a professional deer hunter or a professional anything in that area of occupation, that you've, we talked about signs and tracks, learn to follow tracks. Learn to follow tracks. And we found out it's very important to understand that if, if, if it's the footprint of a gopher or if it's the footprint of a grizzly, that's pretty important. Matter of fact, it's not funny, but last Monday or Tuesday, they killed a mountain lion in Celeste, Texas. Without the tail, he was, she was six foot long and weighed 165 pounds. Can you imagine that? Showed a picture of it. And, and, and the guy, the, the, the game warden, he's in the back of pickup. He didn't shoot it. A hunter shot it. But he's talking about it, and he's a pretty good-sized guy. And he's kind of pointing, and he's got his hand down here by this thing. And I'll tell you that, that the panther's or the mountain's lion hand looked like a baseball glove compared to his. So the idea is that if we're going to pursue God, which is what we're trying to do, then it would be helpful for us to know what exactly that we're pursuing. Because we've had had people to lead us astray. And you've had had people to give directions that you wish you hadn't taken directions from. I got to Houston one time, and we were lost, really before GPS. I didn't trust GPS anyway, but I stopped and asked for directions, and I knew right off the old boy gave me directions and didn't know what he was talking about. So I told Gail, I said, find a taxi driver. You may not understand him. He may sound like he works at 7-Eleven at night, but at least he knows. Well, the idea is that following Christ, that it's very important that not all roads lead to God. And so I think it's very important when I say that we'll all wind up to God. I understand that, but being successful in God. So this is not the first time we heard this. So dealing with Christmas, uh, we're going to look at two or three things that, about people who pursued Christ. But their pursuing of Christ didn't come without a sign. God gave them signs. Just as God gives us signs today, but, but God was so smart that he knew these people had a a desire and a passion to find him, but yet God said on their own, he knew that he couldn't find them, so God gave these people signs. So the people who pursued the Christ child. There's five of them. We're going to do this real quickly. Number one, it's the woman, the Virgin Mary. The Virgin Mary. Matter of fact, it's found in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 35. This is the message translation. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the reason why I wanted to read this in the message because you would think the six months had something to do with the timetable, the calendar of, of the Jewish calendar, and it was not. It was the sixth month into Elizabeth's pregnancy. John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancies that God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth 
to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descended from David. His name was Joseph, and the virgin's name was Mary. And upon entering, Gabriel greeted her and said, Good morning. You're beautiful with God's beauty, beautiful inside and out. God be with you, or God is with you. And she was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind a, a greeting like that. Have you ever wondered when people say, you look beautiful today, you know they're up to something. <laughs> huh? I mean, you, you, you see somebody you hadn't seen before, and you say, hey, I think you're losing weight. I've never seen you any more beautiful. And the first thing you say is this, what are you wanting? But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. Boy, can we all write a book on that. God has a surprise for you. So the idea of this, that this, this meeting between the angel and the Virgin Mary, that it was very unexpected to her, but it wasn't expected by God. He says, you'll become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. And he will be great and be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of, of his father David and he will rule Jacob's house forever, no end ever to his kingdom. The angel is given a discourse to this young lady that, but you have to get the idea that somehow it doesn't give you the evidence, but it gives you the thought process that somehow she's pursuing God somehow silently in her young age. And we know this. You have to know this because you have to look beyond the scenes that, that God just doesn't pick out anyone. But when she was conceived by her mother and father and when she grew as a child, somehow you get the indication that God had chosen her before the foundation of the earth. And maybe she couldn't put her finger on it, but somehow she always knew she knew God and she didn't even really know who God was. It's this wonderful, it's, 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 this, it's this concept of of Alpha Omega that God has always known us, and we've known him, but we just didn't know it. The idea that, that Eve came out of the side of Adam. She was formed out of his rib. The Bible says that he made male and female and put it in the man. It wasn't that he was bisexual. It means that the emotions of the male and the female was placed in the male body, but he put him to sleep, and out came the female. And when he looked at her, he said, how do I know what your favorite color is? How do I know what your favorite food is? This is the first time I'm seeing you, and somehow I know that you hate cats and love dogs. How do I know that? And she said, because I've always been in you. And at Calvary's cross, the Apostle Paul tells us that the church has always been in him. From the foundations of the earth and at Calvary's cross, when the spear opened up his right side, and the blood and the water poured out, we, the New Testament church, came out of his bleeding side, and we've always been in him from the foundation of the earth, Ephesians 1 and 4, and you say this, how is it that I never was raised in church? How was it that I had a mother and father who was a dope dealer, a crackhead, and a drunk? But how is it that I've always known God because you have been in him from the foundations of the earth? So little do we have much information about her, but we have to understand this, that somehow we have to feel like she was pursuing him. So he said, here's your sign, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The nation of Israel wants the relationship with God. 
They want to know God. They're, they're, they're 700 years before Jesus is even born. Isaiah is giving them a prediction. They're saying, how will we know when the Messiah comes? We want the Messiah to come. And he said, here's you a sign. And therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Say sign. sign. Tracks. How will you know that it's truly the Christ child? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And you shall call his name Emmanuel. I mean, God with us. Jesus. Yahshua and us. J-E-S, Yahshua, the anointed one. And U-S is us. You put them together. is the glory of God. And the, and, and the corruption of mankind put together is Jesus. It's God in us. He said, you can't find him on your own, so this is the sign that I'll give you. This is where I'll lay a track. And if you will follow these tracks, you will follow your way some 700 years. He didn't give them the day. We know it in, in Micah chapter 5 and 2. He talks about where you'll come from, Bethlehem of Euphrates. Out of there will come the, the root of Israel. But for 700 years, he laid tracks as a sign, and he'll be a virgin. And this is why that, that Mary immediately went to Elizabeth's house because Elizabeth, which was her cousin, because her husband was a priest, Zacharias. And the law said that if you've been accused of adultery, you've got to go ex have yourself examined by the priest. That's why she went to Elizabeth's house, not to see her, to see the priest, even though he was the kinfolk. But the priest examined her and he said, I don't, I don't understand this. By the physical form, you've never been with a man. But it's pretty obvious your belly's pooched out. Because Mary said, how is this possible that I'll have a child and I'll never have been with a man? And the angel said, what God wants to do through you, you won't need a man. You see, some of us that we hinder the work of God in our lives because we say this, well, if you see my report card and, and, and this and that, that I don't have education, I don't have schooling, I don't have the curriculum. I don't have all these things. And God would say to you, Virgin Marys, what God wants to do to you and through you, you won't need a man. You just need to rely upon what God can do through you. So this was a sign that was laid to the woman. And I want you to know I have a feeling that when, when, the, when the angel spoke this to her as the virgin, somebody immediately flipped to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 said, Here's your sign. Are you a woman? She said, I am. Are you a virgin? She said, I am. Did the angel speak to you? He said, he did. God is going to do something great in you. You're highly favored and blessed among women. And the only other time this word highly favored is used is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. He said, you're accepted in the beloved, verse 5. The word accepted in the beloved and highly favored is the same word. And you've heard me say this all the time. But the same words he said that God is in you, there's a living Christ in you. And the Apostle Paul said, you are accepted in the beloved. Charitos, it means there is an invisible Christ living in you that has not yet came to birth yet. Pretty powerful. Being impregnated by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Turn to somebody and say, I can tell your belly's sticking out. Tell them that. And it's not gas, it's God. Number two, to the working shepherds. To the working shepherds. Now watch this. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12 says this. 
Now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I'm going to bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Now watch this. For there is born unto you this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign. We go back to signs. Tracks. The set of tracks led us to the virgin. So here's your sign, working shepherds. You will find the babe, which is breathless, which is an infant babe. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. So it was that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Hey, that's pretty good news. Let's go back to work. Hey, did you hear what the angel said? That's, that's pretty good news. Did you, did you know that I, I will say got beat yesterday in Oklahoma? Yeehaw. When they heard what the shepherd said, said, Let us now go into Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. It gives you the idea that the angel of the Lord didn't tell the shepherds city, street, and numbers where he's found. But he gave them a sign. And he said, the Christ child is born, and you're going to find him lying in a manger. And, and I would say to you that he, he doesn't even really name the town, if you would, but the angel does. But the idea is, with haste, they went to go find him. God laid the sign, and watch this, and with haste, they pursued the sign. What was the sign? He would be found in Bethlehem wrapped in a manger. And I want you to know, it wasn't to the fact that you, you get this idea that they, they brought the baby Jesus to the shepherds. They had to go find him. Some of you are expecting God to drop something out of heaven on your front doorstep, and it may not be like that. But I will tell you, if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit, He will give you signs that you may pursue with haste and with passion. The word haste is passion. I'm passionate finding the Christ. Here's your sign. The glory of the Lord. Goodwill to all people. It's a great thing. But here's your sign. You're going to find him wrapped in a manger, in a manger, in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and with haste and great diligence, as if their life depended upon it. They went from door to door, barn to barn, stable to stable, until they found him. How long did it take? I don't know. There's an old saying you used to say in Pentecost there, did you get prayed through or you got through praying? I don't know. It's amazing. You people want to come and pray. It's amazing. In 30 seconds or 15 seconds, you're through. I'm just telling you that when, you, when the Spirit of the Lord begins to really move upon you and you're trying to pursue the Christ child with great haste and diligence, follow the sign. The third one, the wise men. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. We went from the woman to the working shepherd, now to the wise men. And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east, and they came to Jerusalem, and saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star 
in the east and have come to worship him. As the kids brought out to you, there's not three kings. I know there's songs about it. There are three gifts. More than likely, there could have been 300 magis. There could have been 3,000. There could have been 30,000. It was enough men to get Herod's attention. Okay? And boy, I mean, he was an Edomite. And Edomite was an idiom word that means this, that he was from the descendant of Esau. And boy, when he heard that he had competition, he didn't like it a bit. And so the idea is this, that the wise men come and said this, that, that God has given us a sign. Matter of fact, the sign, it talked about Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, says this in the message. Here's the sign. This is what Balaam said, that I see him, but not right now. I perceive him, but not right here. A star shall rise out of Jacob's scepter from Israel, crushing the heads of Moab and the skulls of all the noisy windsbags. He said, this will be your sign. A star shall rise up. Daniel gave the information to the wise men while Daniel was in captivity in Babylon. It's amazing that you cannot confine or contain the prophecy and the wisdom of God. No matter where you are. Brad Houghton, I'm not going to talk about it, but he gave a wonderful little testimony today about spreading the good news to some of his business partners. The thing about it is you cannot contain the Word of God. You may be in captivity right now, but God's Word's not in captivity. You may be in doom and gloom, but God's Word's not in doom and gloom. You may not be feeling like you're victorious, but God's Word is always victorious. See? So the idea, the wise man says this, we're here, we, we've received a sign. And Herod says, what sign? And he said, have you not read Numbers 24? And, and he says, by the way, I have not. <laughs> so Herod calls for his scribes and he says, do you know, you know anything about Balaam? And they said, we do. Do you know anything about Numbers 24? And he says, we do. Do you know anything about a scepter and a star? We do. And Herod said, tell me. And he said, his own scribe says it was prophesied that out of the tribe of Judah, a star shall arise, a scepter is in his hand, and that star will lead you to the king of the Jews. How in the world did the wise men find Jesus? And the answer is, God gave them a sign. Now we know for a fact, we know for a fact, to clarify this, to make it as mud, the shepherd's brephos baby found the baby Jesus. The Magi found the pious, P-A-I-S, the child Jesus, a toddler of 16 to 18 months old in Nazareth. The shepherds found the baby Jesus in Bethlehem. The wise men found the baby Jesus, which is at 18 months old, back in Nazareth, his home city. Luke tells you that specifically. So sometimes when you see the nativity scene, don't... Don't, don't go belligerent and burn the thing down. It's okay. When you see the wise men and the camel and the sheep and everything looking around the baby Jesus, that's not really biblical, but it's okay. It's all right. We're getting the message out that Jesus is, Christ is born. So the Magi took them 16 months to get from where they live to find the Christ child. Now, that doesn't mean much to you, but they traveled over 700 miles, and they didn't fly an airplane, nor did they have a Harley-Davidson motorcycle. They had a quadruped called a camel. And I want you to know, this is the idea that they knew the prophecies in their heart because Daniel was a great teacher. He was very wise and very skilled. 
And he told them of all the prophecies that God had laid out. And these men were passionate about God. And I want you to know that one day that they saw this star, as, as Daniel prophesied, and they said, that, that is the star. Somehow the honing device of God kicked in and said, and there was a star that was brighter. And the day that Jesus was born, that star was put into the heavens. That was a sign. But it took them 16 months to leave home to find him. I'm having trouble getting people to drive across town to get to church. Is this microphone on? I'm telling you Jesus is alive and well. I'm telling you that he's risen the third day and he says, King of kings and Lord of I'm telling you, I know he's everywhere, but there's places that he can be felt closer than other places. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I know what the presence of God is at Walmart and I'd rather feel him here than Walmart. His name is used in the parking lot of Walmart, but it's not really the <clears throat> verse and chapter we use here. When this COVID virus kind of kicked off, I've never missed church before. It was weird. I'm here for the last 30 years, and it was weird when I wasn't here. And you know what's weird about it? I'd come down here when nobody was here. Weird. And I'll tell you what. I found out that the presence of Christ was greater when you all showed up. Because there's something magical happens when the body of Christ comes together. And I don't care if it's COVID or, 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 or a panther in a parking lot. Anything that would keep us from coming together is a device that's used by Satan to divide us and conquer us. But there's strength in unity. There's something great when we can come together. And I'm glad this morning we're here together. So the wise man said, we, we got a sign. And the sign is Numbers 24. And if we'll follow this star, it'll lead us to Christ's child. And it did. The fourth one, the weeping. This is a weird one. Because when you think about Christmas and you think about Jesus, see, you, if, you, if, you, if you think about Christmas, you have to deal with Christ. The word Christmas means to celebrate Mass, to celebrate Christ. Christ Mass, celebrate Christ. But if you leave out Christmas, all you have is a holiday. And you've got a reason to exchange gifts and spend money and just pull your hair out. And... But there's something that is, is really magical about Christmas because it brings things back to what this thing is about. It's Christ has come to earth to be the sacrificial lamb that he gave his life upon a cross rose the third day and crowned King of kings and Lord of lords that you and I can spend eternity with him. That is what this is all about. But sometimes Christmas is not that good. This is called the weeping. Matter of fact, in Scripture, this is called Matthew chapter 2, verse 16 through 18. So when Herod realized that the scholars of the wise men had tricked him, he flew into a rage. And he commanded to, to murder every little boy two years old and under who lived in Bethlehem and its surrounding hills. And he determined that age from the information he'd gotten from his scholars. That's when Jeremiah's sermon was fulfilled. 
he realized after, after several months, several weeks went by, he, he told the wise men, he said, oh yeah, when you find the child, we haven't seen a star. Isn't it amazing that God put a star in the heavens and yet the, the religious people had no clue that he was within five miles of him? I promise you, I promise you in laughter that you can set the star of David in this church up and there's some people that wouldn't know it's here. The religious people just don't understand the work and the mechanics of God. In five miles, all the religious people that knew everything about the scriptures, but yet they couldn't see him. They couldn't find him. And so he told the wise man, he said, well, this king of the Jews, that if I have competition, won't you bring him back? Or at least tell me where it's at. That way I can bring him a gift. Yeah, he's going to bring him a gift. It's called a knife. And when they didn't come back because the angel warned them, said, don't go because he's going to kill you, off to Egypt, and they took the long ways back home. And when they found out, Herod found out that he had been tricked or lied to, this is what he did. He called his scribes in again. He said, what do you know about this? And they said, we know what Jeremiah said. And Jeremiah said in his, in Jeremiah 31, 15, you don't have to show it, but he says this. Wait, here we go. So said the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentations and bitter weeping, and Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Jeremiah predicted that the slaughter of these children and the slaughter would be so great that the weeping could be heard five miles away in either direction of Jerusalem. Because that Herod was in such of a rage. Now, think about this for a moment before we go home. You're personally responsible for the slaughtering of boys two years and under. Carry that on your shoulders growing up. When you hear about Jesus coming to the earth and Jesus being born and you get this idea that everything's, the Magi is giving him wonderful gifts, but I want you to know that even though that some people recognize him as King of kings and lords and King of the Jews and they brought him gold and frankincense and myrrh, but I want you to know on the other side, there's chaos, confusion, and killings. Kind of sound like your last family Christmas. Isn't it amazing that you can get together on a Christmas holiday? It should be a holiday of, of joyful and giving and surrender. And before long, you find division, frustration. You see, nothing's different today. Most of, of, of separations in homes and families. And, and, and friendships is over the kingdom of Christ. Not everybody is excited, bro, because you got saved. You're excited. And Sherry sure is excited. But when you go to work and, and say, hey boys, I found Jesus and he's Lord of my life and things are going to change around here, not everybody is excited that God changed your life. I mean, your old friends and your old relationships and your old buddies, oh, they're good with you as long as you just ride the fence and play along and play the game. But for the first time you say, you know what? Instead of going to get drunk Christmas Day, I think we ought to go to church. I don't, I don't think they're going to like that much at all. 
You'd be surprised that when Christ is born in your heart, that even though there's certain attributes of great things that are happening, make no mistake about it, with the Christ child will come separation, chaos, confusion, and even death. And you're wondering what's going on. And it's a part of it. Because when Christ becomes king of your life, and Christ is not king in other people's life, you'll see that there's jealousy and envy and strife because it's not necessarily against you, but it's the Christ child in you. My father a long time ago told me, when you meet somebody, do not bring up religion or politics. And even nowadays, we've come almost to a place in our homes and families where Christ is not even mentioned. Especially outside of the, the perimeters of our close family, but we get somewhere and, and we're afraid to even mention about Christ. But I will tell you, the weeping they understood. Jeremiah prophesied it. and said, even though that he will come, but every young boy from the age of two years under will be slaughtered. How would you like to be Jesus carrying that burden on your shoulders? How would you like to grow up with him? And the only reason why John the Baptist was saved because his father took him and hid him in the wilderness. God took John the Baptist away and hid him out or he would have been slaughtered. You see, it's nothing unusual for God to say, I'm going to do a good work in your life. It's nothing unusual for God to say, I'm going to use you. It's nothing unusual for God to lay tracks for you and say, this is where you can find me. It's nothing unusual. It's nothing unusual for you just a working class citizen shepherd where you work at Michelin and you flip burgers at McDonald's. It's just working class people. But God said, I'm going to lay signs for you. This is where you can find my presence. But it's not unusual the sign of weeping and broken hearts to be found as well. And the last one is found that he can be found in the world. I told Gail the other day we was talking about my family. And my family on was in a great disruption. Not, not my boys. But my brother's family great disruption happened and I told her I said it's all because of Christ it's the kingdom of Christ you're going to find out in a few weeks that this is more than me just professing something watch this the kingdom of Christ lives in me and when the kingdom of Christ is made manifest in the earth we know all through the New Testament that whether you understand it or you see it but angels and principalities and demons, they're very aware, aware of it. But the last thing is for the is tracks and signs for the world. How will they know? And the scripture says, For the kingdom of heaven is not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. How what is the sign? What is the tracks that will lead us? that will lead the world to know that Christ lives us. And it says this, that the kingdom of God isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach 
for goodness sake, is what God does with your life. He sets it right and He puts it together and completes it with joy. So now your task is single-mindless to serve Christ. Do that which will kill two birds with one stone. You'll please God above you and proving your worth to the people around you. So what is the sign and the trackage that will lead people to know that Christ is in us? And here it is. It's not meat or drink. How will I know that Christ is in you? Is there a sign that will let me know that Christ is in you? And the answer is yes. It's not meat or drink. How will I know that Christ is in you? Do I just take it for granted or blindly make my way through this? The answer is no. How will I know that Christ is in you? He said, I will leave you tracks that will lead you to me. And the world will know that where there is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, they will know they have found me. So I think one of the tracks this morning as we go home, what is the greatest signs and tracks that we can leave for the world to find Jesus? It's not in a manger scene. And it's not in a home in Nazareth. And it's not necessarily in the working class and what we do and what we say. Here's how the world will know that Jesus lives in us. It's not what we say. It's not how we dress. It's not how we play. It's not what necessarily what we say religiously. This is the tracks that will lead people to the Christ in us. Is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And in that, that we will honor God and we will love one another. And that's how they will know that we belong to Jesus. Father, this morning I pray that in this Christmas season, this time that we set aside that truly, as you pronounce to Mary, there's good news, great tidings and joy. Jesus the Christ, Savior of the world, has come. You announced it to the shepherds where we may find Him and locate Him. And we're also very unfortunately aware of the weeping and separation and the division that comes when Christ comes. But the last thing that we want to leave tracks and signs is this. Is the tracks that I want to leave behind that the world will, will know where to find Christ is righteousness, peace, and joy in your presence. So I just speak to this church that this week, wherever we go, in this upcoming year, wherever we go, let us leave the indicators and tracks and signs that people may come to know Jesus. They may not come to this church building, but the church can go to them. Help us to be messengers. Help us to be angels of God. Help us to be the indicators and trackage and signage that Christ the King still lives. He lives in us today. 
for every home and every family that's hurting today. We just pray for them. For everyone that's feeling lonely and empty, we just encourage them today. That we know that psychologists tell us that even though that this is the most festive time of the year, but we also know more suicides occur during this time of the year. And I just pray that we'll be a little bit of hope and, and light in a dark place. And we bless you. And we thank you for King Jesus and all the people of God today. Amen. 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 If you believe that this morning, give the Lord a praise offering today, huh? Stand with me if you would, please. Communion service, you can kind of make your way here. But you know what? This is kind of simple, but I have talked to a lot of people, and I would say this, is this your first time here? And they would say it is, but someone invited me. Somebody I work with comes here. And I just want to come see what this was about. You've left tracks. You left a sign. We're leaving tracks and signs every day of our life that people can find Christ. That night, Jesus sat with his disciples and he took these two sacraments, the cup and the bread. He lifted up the bread and he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating this ordinance, the unleavened bread, which is a type of bread that had no leaven, no sin in it. But he said, now then, this, this bread will take on a new symbolic meaning. He said, I am the bread of life. It's a vicarious life without sin. And every time that you take this bread, it will remind you of me. He lifted up the cup and he said, this cup is a, is a ritual, an ordinance that you've been doing for 1,500 years. You've been taking the lamb's blood and applying it to the doorpost in the shape of a cross, but now then this blood will take on a new meaning. It's my blood, the New Testament lamb of God. You'll take it and it'll be placed in the shape of a cross. And it will remind you of me. These are the two tracks that he left for us to follow, the cup and the bread. So Father, this morning, you have, you are, and you'll continue to leave us tracks and signs that we can pursue you until we find you. Bless this cup and bless this bread in Jesus' name. Amen.